This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. We're continuing our series this morning, Original Virtue, The Abundant Life. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But our question often is, what does that abundant life look like and how do I get it? See, we believe that we have a built-in capacity for this abundant life, that this is something that's already embedded inside of us. This abundant life is not something waiting outside of you that you need to try to attain or try to find. No, the image of God is inside of us, and the image is the very essence of God, and essence is the character of something. And so you were born in union with God and with the very nature of God. And so our spiritual journey then that we all take is learning how to recognize and live out of and grow into that reality, that you were in union with God and that you can reflect and I can reflect the very characteristics of God as well. God is not coming from the outside in then to save you. God is within you. The kingdom of God, the image of God, the likeness of God that we are called to see and enter is manifest internally first and then externally by qualities that we call virtues. The Apostle Paul gave a short list of these virtues in Galatians, you might be familiar with them, known as the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, they are the outgrowth of God's Spirit within us or the image of God within us. They are love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Once we recognize these virtues inside of us, inside of ourselves, then we can begin to move into and mature into what a healthy and abundant life looks like for us right now. Let's look at 2 Peter 1.3. Would you say this with me? His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now that life and godliness that this verse speaks about, it is truly living out these virtues that we have already been given. We have been given everything we need to live in the likeness of God. So we have to recognize though that there is more to life, that the very word abundant means that there is more, but we need to be able to see it, we need to be aware of it, and then we have to act on it and simply enjoy it. So this is the process of wisdom. All of these things, which we believe is the mother. Wisdom is the mother of all virtues. Now, wisdom can be defined in many ways, having knowledge, intelligence, good judgment. Practical wisdom is is having common sense. And we all want these things in our lives. And some of it comes with experience. Some of it comes a bit with trial and error. For instance, Ben and I were going on a walk early last fall. It was about 8 p.m. It was just starting to get pretty dark outside, and we often go on walks to exercise, or walks are a great opportunity for us to talk through some things. And so as we were walking, we came upon one of those um, signs that said the speed limit. So this is the speed limit, and this is how fast you are going. So Ben, the the little boy inside of him, reared its pretty little head and said, I want to try something. I want to see how fast I can go. And I was like, okay, he's 36 year old at, years old at the time, and he's in pretty good shape, but something inside of me was like, I don't know about this. So he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna do it. So I so wisely decided to break out my iPhone and record the event. <laughs> so 
<laughs> We're going to watch this. <laughs> I don't know, Ben's shaking his head in the back. Listen, Stan Jr. is, is Stan uh, Seniors. You know, he does all his examples, and I'm sorry that you're all my examples. But So you're going to hear this maybe better than you can see it, but just, just watch. This, this is, is a test. test. No, okay, I think you missed the end. The last three steps are him falling into the asphalt. Just, just for fun, let's watch it one more time. This, this is a test. test. <laughs> so, because he gave me permission to share it, I also would tell you that what you may not have noticed is he hit 18 miles per hour running, okay? He's standing, yes, Ben. I laughed at first, ran to him, and he was like, I'm okay, I'm okay. So we got up and we continued to walk about five feet, and he's like, I'm not okay. <laughs> so we turned and went back to the house, which wasn't very far. And when we got to the light, I mean, the poor boy had gravel embedded in his elbows and knees. He went and got in the shower. I said, I'm gonna go walk on the treadmill, you take a shower. It's like 25 minutes later, I go to the shower, he has passed out. It was pitiful. <laughs> He's still got the scars to prove it, but I think he learned some practical wisdom through that experience. Now, <laughs> sorry, babe. <laughs> the wisdom we're talking about today, though, will affect you practically, but the definition that I wanna work off of, let's look at it on the screens. It is to see as God sees, to see things as they actually are, and then to act accordingly. So wisdom is understanding. It's perceiving reality clearly. It's apprehending the truth that is within us and is in front of us. A quote, and it is one of my favorites. It's by Henry David Thoreau. Let's look at it. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. So wisdom is seeing things as they are, seeing the universe properly, and in so many ways, a first sign of the wise is that they seek more wisdom. For them to be able to humbly admit that I don't know all is in very fact that very thing is wise in itself. And so we want to live and we want to see things truly as they are as opposed to living with false impressions, to living with untruth, to living with delusions about ourself and this world. Last week, Pastor Stan gave us a beautiful introduction about what original virtue is. And he kept interchanging the word virtue with blessing. And I loved that. And I wanna focus on that for a few minutes. See, the idea of original blessing is an invitation to actualize and enjoy the life that God has given you or made you capable of. The invitation to actualize, it can also be called conversion or being born again. They are both terms used to indicate the acceptance of the invitation to actualize our God-given potential. Now, most of us, if you're like me, we grew up with this idea of new birth or being born again meant we needed to change our identity, that something in us was bad. But we believe being born again is not about changing your identity, but about fully recognizing your identity. It is not about changing who you are. It's becoming aware of who you are as the beloved child of God. 
If we want to live a life of wisdom, we have to see God as God sees us. We have to see like God sees. In Luke 17, Luke records a telling story of Jesus who's interacting with the Pharisees. And he's being asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God coming? See, they thought it wasn't there yet. When is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus responds, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, lo, it is here or it is there. See, the Pharisees thought this thing was exclusivistic. They thought it was going to be here in this group or there with that person. And Jesus goes on to say to them, who I remind you, these are his greatest enemies, his greatest foes. They are out to get him. And Jesus looks straight in their eyes and he says this, look at it in Luke 17, 21. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. When we can look at our enemies as Jesus did and see them and say the kingdom of God is within you, then we are off to the races. I don't know about you, but I want to see differently. I want to see as Jesus saw. I want to be able to know for myself and for others that the kingdom of God is within In the conversion story of Paul in Acts chapter 9, see, Paul was first named Saul, and he was out killing um, the Christians, killing the followers of Christ, and he was continuing to do so and on search to do more harm. And the story goes that he's on this Damascus road, and he sees a flash of light, and he hears Jesus' voice, and then he's struck with blindness. He can no longer see. And so he goes into this house, and for three days, he can't see And Jesus goes to this other man, Ananias, and he says, go to Paul, Saul at the time, go to him and say this. So Ananias goes to Paul and says, brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. So he regained his original sight, his sight was restored, but now he saw the world as it was. He saw as Jesus saw. He saw the reality of what actually is. In the Gospels, over and over, Jesus says things like, they have eyes to see, and yet they don't see. We have eyes to see, and yet we don't see. And then in Revelation, in Revelation 3, Jesus says, I will give you a salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. It is right here in front of us. If only we could see it. And Jesus says we can Jesus says we can. We can see the kingdom of God. We can see the world as it was intended to be. We can have wisdom then and choose to live out of it. In John 3, 3, Jesus is talking to another religious leader, a Pharisee, Nicodemus. And mind you, this is the same man who will later take Jesus down from the cross and bury him. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says to him, I tell you for certain that you must be born again before you can see God's kingdom. So to be born again, what I've realized is that being born again, this experience is not something that just happens once. It's not something that just happens once, but it's a lifelong maturation process. So in these references in Luke that we just mentioned where they're searching for the kingdom and then here in John when Nicodemus is looking for it, people are searching and again they think and they assume that it's outside of themselves. But Jesus says you must be born again, but this thing is inside of you. It's latent, waiting to be discovered, waiting to be expounded upon. So we are born once of the flesh. And we know that that birth for women, it could take any time from five minutes to 48 hours, okay? But it happens one time. 
But then the birth of the Spirit, your entire life is the womb. Our entire life is the delivery process. The first birth gets us into this game of life, and then the rest of life is the birth of our spirit, being born again and again and again. So with this birthing of the spirit, this abundant life, the wisdom to see then is actually a call to actualize and enjoy this life that we have already been given. Now, I assume if I asked you, are you living wisely or unwisely, most of us would answer wisely. We don't think that we live unwise. And so if this virtue of wisdom that we are meant to live is best explained as being able to see reality as it actually is, how do we check in with ourselves? How do we realize if we're doing this well? How do we know if we're responding to life accordingly? And maybe another good question to ask is, are you enjoying your life as it is? Ben and I, a couple nights ago, we were checking in with each other, just talking about life and stresses and family and responsibilities. And as we kept talking about the things that were literally wearing us out, we kept saying to each other, we're supposed to be enjoying this. Life is supposed to be a gift because alongside the suffering and the pain that we will all face is a beautiful, abundant life to be lived. That to live abundantly is not to live without hardship, but to know that in the midst, in the midst of that hardship that we work with our lives in order to see things differently. But sometimes we've allowed ourselves to stay in situations. We've been blinded by certain relationships and stayed in them, although they're not life-giving. And that's something that can change, but that's up to you and up to me to do so. And so if you're not enjoying your life, what is God trying to teach you? You could ask yourself, what is life trying to nudge me onto? Because wisdom is paying attention. And wisdom is asking, am I doing my very best to humbly grow and to mature in this situation and in this season? The very book that we gave our graduates earlier, you saw us pass, pass it out. It says, let your life speak. That's the title of it. And that's not a message just for two precious 17-year-olds as they head out into the real world. That's a message for you and for me that our life is speaking and are we listening? Because there's things that we can control and there are things that we can't. It's the very heart of the serenity prayer that most of us are familiar with. Let's look at it. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference. And so when we ask ourselves these questions, if we aren't living in a way that brings enjoyment and satisfaction, if we aren't living in a way that brings freedom to ourselves and to others, then I think it's time to back up. I think it's time to ask ourselves if there is anything that we can do about it. Is there something that we are missing? Has life or have our decisions or have our own mistakes blinded us from something? Friends, our original blessing, it's this homing device inside of us. It's who we are and whose we are. It's the very quality of our composition, the fabric of our divine DNA. Buried deeply beneath our prodigal journeys and the hog pens, buried deeply beneath our addictions and our rebellions and our shames and our sin, 
buried beneath our fears and our estrangement, those feelings of estrangement, of self-loathing at times, buried deeply beneath all of that is the very fact of our identity, the worth of who you are, your original blessing and your virtue. And though it may be covered at times, it cannot be removed. Though it may be battered and it may be bruised at times, it cannot be destroyed. It is who we are. So conversion and salvation, redemption, new birth, repentance, these are not words describing one event in our lives. No, they're pointing to this cycle of enlightenment, this lifelong healing process of being born again and again so that we may see the kingdom of God inside of us and that seeing it, we may enter it and that upon entering it, we will find our life, the abundant life that Jesus spoke of this process of wisdom is one that only you can take and one that I can, only I can take for myself. So for the virtue of wisdom, we wanna see it, we wanna enter it, and we wanna enjoy it. The psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't think that he was simply referring to our anatomy and our psychology. Surely this description means more than just applying to our physical presence. It must also apply to the beauty, truth, and goodness that dwells within us, each of us, and within all of creation. Jesus says these words, you shall know the truth, and when you do, the truth shall set you free. Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. This is the seeking of wisdom. This is the prayer that we need to pray. M. Scott Peck calls it aligning yourself with the very mind of God. I want to look at Philippians 2 together. I've always loved these verses, and they've always challenged me. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, therefore, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This thing is a personal thing. It's on you and it's on me. Work out our own salvation. For it is God who is at work within you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring or arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. That's an opportunity for each and every one of us to shine like stars in the world. It's often healthy for me to step back and simply remind myself that God has invited me into this wonderful thing called life. That God has called me and invited me to participate in holiness and in wholeness. That we are co-creators. In John 15, I love it, it talks about God being the vine. It says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. It goes on to say, abide in me. So we need to recognize who we are and whose we are. He is the vine, we are the branches. And it says, abide in me. We have to choose to abide, choose to rest, 
choose to then flourish and fruit will grow because when we consciously remain on the vine, when we remain connected to the source that's inside of us, this is, as Richard Rohr says, precisely our access point to deeper spiritual wisdom that we are both human and divine as Christ came to reveal and to model for us. So the foundational meaning of transformation when we talk about that is not to change to something you are not, but to surrender to this identity who you already are and then to consciously draw upon that. Transformation is not about changing into something you are not. It's about surrendering to this identity that you already have and then consciously drawing upon that. Another aspect of wisdom is known as uh, the spiritual gift of discernment. It's when you can realize that some good things are actually bad things and some bad things are actually good things. It invites you into both and thinking, not either or. Both and thinking. It's not as simplistic as either or. Richard goes on to say, Richard Rohr, this is the difference between merely having correct information and having wisdom. Both knowledge and wisdom are good, but wisdom is better. It demands the maturity of discernment, which is what it takes then to develop a truly consistent ethic of life, which is what this is all about. That is the point to, to create this ethic of which we live out of. So true wisdom is not just a way of being who we are, it's a way of doing how we act then. I came across this word this week, this Latin word, veriditas. It literally means greenness. It's the marriage of two Latin words, green and truth. Um, it's a word that means vitality or lushness or growth. And it's been attributed and particularly associated with this abbess, Hildegard of Bingen. And she is this great creation-centered mystic from the West. She used that word veriditas to refer to or symbolize spiritual and physical health, often as a reflection of our divine nature. She says this, humankind full of all creative possibilities is God's work. Humankind alone is called to assist God. Humankind is called to co-create. And with nature's help, humankind can set into creation all that is necessary and life-sustaining. I love that. She also wrote this beautiful prayer. It says this, trust yourself, trust your own will, and trust the devotion in your own soul. We have this in us. So wisdom is seeing. It's trusting your own God-given will, and then wisdom is acting on that new insight. Another one of my favorites, Barbara Brown Taylor, wrote this beautiful book called An Altar in the World, and I suggest you go read that. She says this, wisdom is not gained by knowing what is right. Wisdom is gained by practicing what is right and noticing what happens when that practice succeeds and when it fails. Wise people do not have to be certain what they believe before they act. They are free to act, trusting that the practice itself will teach them what they need to know. See, our willingness to find God in our own struggles to find God in our own experiences in life and then let them grow us, that's our deepest obedience to what God has called us to. Richard Rohr says all the time, God comes to us disguised as life. God comes to us disguised as life. And so we have to always remember that this heartfelt desire to do the will of God is in fact the truest will of God. 
the very desire to do something because at that point God has won and our false self, our false ego, this ego that we build for ourselves, that has lost and our prayer has already been answered. Stan brought up this verse last week, Matthew 5, 48. It's from the New Revised Standard Version. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I've always struggled with this verse because what does it mean to be perfect? Is it something that you and I can actually achieve? And then I read this quote by Peter Gomes in his book, Sermons. It says, Jesus reminds us that perfection we are encouraged to imitate will not reward us with a perfect world for our efforts. But the virtue for the faithful, even if they achieve no other virtue, is that they seek and serve virtue because in doing so they fulfill, they perfect, they make complete the will and work of God. And that work is never done. And that is why we must ever be about doing it. The very fact that we're choosing to seek after the will of God means that we are trying to perfect our own life and the will of God in the world. In the book, The Wisdom of Solomon from the Apocrypha, in chapter 6, verse 24, it says, the multitude of the wise is the welfare of the world. The multitude of the wise is the welfare of the world. Peter Gomes goes on to say, the welfare of the world is not managed by those who impose an impossible standard and an improbable timetable. But the welfare of the world is held by those whose impossible standards, whose hopes and prayers are maintained against all conventional wisdom to the contrary. Wisdom is not a private possession. It is not just an individual goal or quality. Wisdom is both purposeful and it's public. Sound knowledge and right action equal the virtue of wisdom. Sound knowledge and right action equal this virtue. Wisdom remains the means to the welfare of the world, and thus we continue then to do what we do, not discouraged by the lack of immediate results, but by living as a learning people. People always saying there is more to know and there is more to see. To be a learning community, a community of faith looking ahead to that which has yet to be achieved. God grant us that we may indeed be added to these faithless, nameless multitude of people who contribute to the welfare of the world by the very grace of God and by the courage and imagination of our own spirit. Indeed, may it be so that the multitude of the wise, that with all of us, it is the welfare of the world. So wisdom is seeing and then wisdom is responding with that insight. And so wisdom becomes responding mindfully versus reacting viscerally. That's a big thing, to respond mindfully versus reacting viscerally. Now, if we think back on this last week and the thousands of interactions that you and I had with people, with your kids, with your spouse or your partner, with your workers, on email, on Facebook, did we respond mindfully or did we react viscerally? I'm sure some of us responded mindfully to some things and some of us reacted viscerally to others. I don't know about you, but Facebook for me is this testing ground. As soon as I put up something that I'm moved by or challenged by, I put up a beautiful quote or a video or of a speech that someone that moves me, the very thing that just impresses upon my soul and resonates so deeply affects someone else in the total opposite way. 
I mean the complete opposite way. And so when that happened this week, initially I wanted to react viscerally and go get their comments and their critiques. But no, thank God, I needed to step back, take a deep breath, and respond mindfully. That is what we're called to do in our humanity, in our journey. Can we stop and pause and respond mindfully? Because the more that we can do that, the wiser we will become. And it's in our capacity to do it. Another one of a thousand aspects of living a life of wisdom is learning to enjoy your life. The ability to stand back in awe and in wonder and to savor this thing. Socrates says, it's one of my favorite quotes, I'm such a quote person, but Socrates says this, wisdom begins in wonder. Wisdom begins in wonder. That has been so true for me. Hildegard, the mystic from earlier, she says this, glance at the sun, see the moon and the stars, gaze at the beauty of the earth's greenings, and now think what delight God gives to humankind with all of these things. Seeing as God sees then means we don't just see a blade of grass when we walk past it. We begin to see the beauty and the life in it. Ben came and got me a couple nights ago. I was in bed working on my sermon in my PJs under the covers, very comfortable, typing on my computer, and he says, I need you to come outside. And I really didn't want to bother getting up out of bed. I was busy, and he said, I need you to trust me. So I did it. I wanted to react viscerally. I chose to respond. So we walked outside, and our house backs up to common area. It's a hill of all these trees. And so we walk outside, and Ben says, look. And as my eyes begin to adjust to the darkness of the night, it was completely black. And all of a sudden, there were thousands of lightning bugs everywhere. And it was as if they blended into the stars and the sky. And for me, I'm such a, a nature person. So he knew if he could get me out there that I could sit back in awe and in wonder. And that's what I did. I just needed to simply enjoy the moment. We get so busy. We miss things that are right in our backyard and that they're right in front of us. Last year, I went on a, a conference and I it was out in California and built into the second day of a conference, we could go surfing. It was part of the conference. It was this Christian spiritual conference. They had surfing, which was amazing, right? So I'd never been surfing and I chose to do it. And luckily I got up a handful of times and I coasted in to shore. And the very last time they said last call. And so I, I swam back out on my board. And instead of facing and focusing on getting back inland, I sat facing the depth in front of me. And I just looked at the beauty of the ocean, which again seemed to blend in with the sky. And I noticed and sat in awe and in wonder and thought, well, wonders never cease. I was going to miss something. After the conference, I came back home and I settled back into my normal rhythm of tasks and work and family. But I've often inhabited and paced myself on this journey of life as a drive, a run towards success versus a slow pace in order to relish in the wonder of it all. Now, I know we must work, we must strive, we must reach, we must allow our innate drive to push us on towards greatness. We must be able to be the best humans that we can be. That is a part of our wisdom. But also, so often in the midst of all of that, for me, I lose my need and I suppress my desire for wonder 
And yet when I choose to not do that, wonder helps me broaden my perspective. I see more and I see more clearly and that's the very heart of what wisdom is. And so if wonders never cease, and I believe they won't, if wonders never cease, then we just need eyes again to see and intentionality to notice. Now, I've tried to save her life here or there. I put a little hashtag up every once in a while on social media, take a snapshot here, and I think I've been successful at that part of it. But the question I have for me and one I ask of you today, have I approached life, all of life, not as a journey to success, but as a destination for wonder each and every day, a destination for wonder? One more quote, it's Abraham Heschel. Our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Never treat life casually. Friends, this is a part of wisdom. This is the very heartbeat of the kingdom of God. And so if you and I live or strive for success, at the end of each day, if we lay in bed or we wake up constantly grading our work, our tasks, our assignments, our actions, our word, if we grade ourselves, then you're gonna find yourself in moments as I did where I'm sitting in the Pacific Ocean and I realize that my life is not a test from God. My life is a gift from God. This thing is not a test, it's a gift. And so with wisdom, we begin to see in the everyday mundane tasks that these are moments filled with opportunity. With wisdom, we don't just see our enemy at first glance, but we behold and realize this is our brother or our sister. With wisdom, we see now that creation is teeming with life all around us in sunsets and in windy days and welcoming dogs at your side or in butterflies that brush past you on the lawn. With wisdom, we see we recognize and we respond with wonder. The whole world becomes clearly filled with traces of God. May we ask for wisdom and with it get wonder. May we have the intentionality to sense it as it comes to us in waves. May we not only see it, but relish in it. May we know that miracles and signs are on display all around us. See, wisdom is this particular attitude then towards reality. Wisdom becomes our worldview. It asks what is good, and not just good for me, but what is good for them? What is good for also them? Wisdom believes that all essential answers can be learned in our experience, in our failures, and in our successes. Wisdom makes life look differently to us. It becomes much more rich and much more complex we begin to finally see the kingdom of God. I wanna ask our communion servers to come and Lauren and the music team to come back up. In scripture, in Job's and Proverbs, we're given this picture and maybe you're familiar with it. It says the beginning of uh, wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then you have God saying over and over again, fear not, fear not. Fear not. And then in Revelation, you have John who comes face to face with Jesus and he falls on the ground in fear. And Jesus says, get up, John. You have nothing to be afraid of. And then John goes back and writes, 
Perfect love cast out all fear. So I get why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the maturation. It's not the culmination. Jesus says over and over and over again, do not be afraid. And so John didn't diminish this idea that we begin with fear, but he says when we mature, we will mature into love. That when fear is perfected, it is cast out. When fear is perfected, it disappears. And when wisdom is matured, then there is love. To have wisdom then is to have knowledge of the beauty, truth, and goodness in us and around us. To be able to have knowledge of the true, the reality of what actually is, the way things actually are behind the scenes and in front of us. And then wisdom is to act out the good our very intrinsic values inside of us, the right way in the world to begin to respond mindfully instead of reacting viscerally. And then also wisdom is to be able to recognize the beautiful, to have the very sight of the heart. When we set out with intentionality to find beauty and to name it, to seek truth wherever it may be found, And finally, to give goodness whomever and in whatever place we find ourselves, we become wise people, the beloved children of God who are acting in the way that we are created to be. So this week, I wanna ask something of you, something of us as a community. I put down a prayer on a little prayer card that you can get as you leave today. And I wonder if we could begin each and every morning for the next seven days and simply pray this prayer together as a community. It could take as simple as one minute to five minutes, however long you wanna dwell on this. But I think it would be amazing thing if every one of us would be praying these words in the morning. God, help us see clearly today your way and your kingdom. Help us to see things as they really are. Help us then to act in accordance to what we will see, to respond mindfully instead of reacting viscerally. And finally, help us to enjoy the present moment that we have been given to find wonder in this gift of life. I think that simple task of doing that every day would be enough to grow us all this week. We have to remember that the virtuous life is the effective life. And the virtuous life is the abundant life to which we are called to live, that we can see then, live out, and simply enjoy. So I want to end our service this morning by taking communion.